The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Great. Thank you, Martha. As you might have noticed, I'm not Pamela Weiss. She was the one that was supposed to speak this morning, but she got ill yesterday. So I got a call last night about 10.30 asking if I would give a talk. So I thought I would talk about, you know, kind of what's really kind of up in my practice for me right now, what's kind of alive and vital. And what I noticed is that over the years of my practice has really evolved somewhat <clears throat> from being what I think of as a, a solitary practice to that of um, much more distributed. Or maybe thinking about the Olympics that's going on right now, it kind of went from being an individual event to a team sport. So I wanted to talk today about Dharma practice as a team sport. And that is the, the wise cultivation and use of spiritual friendship. Um, so I'll start with the story. What, what first brought me to practice was um, a recognition of a suffering that I was experiencing. I, I was... Um, I'd met a woman and... Over time, I became very obsessed with her. I really felt like she held the key to my happiness. If only, um, you know, if only she would recognize that. And, you know, and I had these thoughts that if only she would become as obsessed with me as I was obsessed with her, we'd both be happy. <laughs> and, and I could say that to myself or, or others, you know, you know, Jim, that is really crazy. You know, it's really this crazy idea. And yet, just knowing that intellectually didn't stop it from continuing to arise. You know, there was still that continual, like, you know, when is she going to call? When is she going to email? When, you know, when is she going to stop canceling our dates? <laughs> and so I recognized, you know, all of my strategies of trying to think my way out of this or strategize my way out of this, or ignore my way out of this, just weren't working. And so that's what brought me to IMC for the first time in uh, 1998. And one of the things that I really liked was I, I came to IMC, that we were in Palo Alto at the time, that I could sit and I could listen to the the talks, and then I could just kind of wander out into the night and let whatever I had heard and whatever started was initiated just continue to go. And I didn't need to socialize. I didn't need to stay afterwards and chit-chat or um, do the kind of things that I thought were um, kind of like social obligations, you know, kind of a entertain each other or um, impress each other or um, uh, things like that. 
So I really started thinking that this was a this was a solitary practice. This was me working on my suffering. And in a certain way that was true. I mean in a certain way there was nobody else that could do the meditation for me, nobody else that could have the insights for me, uh, nobody else that could develop the the qualities needed, you know, the, the mindfulness, the concentration, and all of the supporting paramis, the generosity, the ethics. Those were all things that, um, you know, were my responsibility. Over time, I would occasionally hear a teacher say something like, we don't do this practice for ourselves alone. And when I'd hear that, I'd think, well, maybe that's true. Maybe other people are benefiting from my doing this practice. But I'm really doing it for me. You know, this this is really the motivation. And then over time, I, I, I started to notice that I was seeing things and I was experiencing things and I was wanting to talk to people about what I was experiencing in practice and that the friends that I had outside of the Buddhist world, so to speak, would listen kindly and have no idea of what I was talking about. You know, it was just blank stares. You know, and 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 mostly kindly blank stares. I mean, occasionally I would get, you know, maybe you know, a little bit more um, dismissive or derisive comments, but mostly it was just kind of like, oh, you know, what are you talking about? So I felt a need or a desire to have people to talk to. And as that desire arose, I found... <clears throat> Uh, several things. First of all, there was uh, this woman, Elizabeth, who just, just as I was thinking that, she walked over and said, how would you like to go and have coffee sometime and talk about Dharma practice? And so uh, that individual um, friendship developed that way. And then later, um, I became involved in this group called Dharma Friends, which is meeting uh, right after the talk. Um, to bring people together outside of our formal practice environment to spend time walking in the woods or seeing movies or um, engaged in book study, uh, book groups, to spend time with other Dharma practitioners and, and uh, explore what's going on in practice. Um, the other thing that I would hear from teachers occasionally was this particular sutta. And I'm going to read part of it. It's, it's from the Samyutta Nikaya uh, 45-2 called, what is it called? The Whole of the Holy Life. And it's a sutta that's based on a conversation that went on between the Buddha and his disciple Ananda. And it starts... As he was seated there, Venerable Ananda said to the Blessed One, This is half of the holy life, Lord. Admirable friendship, admirable companionship, admirable camaraderie. And the Buddha responded, Don't say that, Ananda. Don't say that. Admirable friendship, admirable companionship, admirable camaraderie is actually the whole of the holy life. 
When a monk has admirable people as friends, companions, and colleagues, he can be expected to develop and pursue the noble eightfold path. And how does a monk who has admirable people as friends, companions, and colleagues develop and pursue the noble eightfold path? There is the case where a monk develops right view dependent on seclusion, dependent on dispassion, dependent on cessation, resulting in relinquishment. He develops right resolve, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, dependent on seclusion, dependent on dispassion, dependent on cessation, resulting in relinquishment. This is how a monk who has admirable people as friends, companions, and colleagues develops and pursues the Noble Eightfold Path. It, and it goes on a little bit more. So, when we talk about um, developing spiritual friendship, there's really um, certain qualities that one would look for in those kind of uh, spiritual friendships. You know, that encouragement to to do the practice, to cultivate the Eightfold Path. Um, I realized that some of the friendships that I was in, and one group in particular, rather than being um, based on looking at the Four Noble Truths, of looking at suffering, looking at the cause, looking at the ending, and looking at the path leading to the end, were actually more based on one or two of the noble, uh, one or two of the noble truths. Like, some of them were just based on recognizing that there was suffering, and then ending there, like, like it's inevitable, you know. Life's a bitch and then you die. <laughs> you know, and so... That so there was a certain um, commiseration that yeah we're all suffering yeah this is yeah suffering boy this is this is really bad and then what strategies can we use to bring in to uh, ignore it or you know distract ourselves from it or um, you know try to comfort ourselves but those so those friendships. And those um, relationships addressed suffering in kind of a conventional way. And it wasn't that they weren't, that I didn't value them, but they didn't include the possibility of the ending of suffering. And so that's really why I had come to the practice. And that's what I was looking for in spiritual friendships friendship was um, people that would be supportive of that, people that were practicing the same kind of practice. And over time, I was invited into a number of different Kalyanamita groups that would meet on a regular basis where we would sit together, we'd eat together, and then we'd talk. And then um, 
Yeah, so I think right now I'm in like three Kali Anamita groups. And I was starting to, th- to kind of reflect on what, what is it about those groups? What, what makes them effective? What makes them supportive? And um, what makes them a good team? And one of the first qualities that came to my mind was being in a spiritual friendship or group friendship that felt safe. So putting together a group where there was, um, you know, some, as the group formed, some, you know, some recognition of respect for each other, um, respect for one's confidentiality, um, willingness to to be with somebody in difficulty you know to, to, to a willingness to stay present so that that developing that sense of safety was very important and from that sense of safety there came a sense of trust you know these are these this person or these people are people that I can trust with talking about what's starting to come up in practice. Sometimes what comes up in practice are very um, delightful states, you know, a sense of love and warmth and compassion. And then there's other times when the things that come up are, are you know, dislike, hatred, greed, all sorts of things that... Um, we call defilements, and mostly things we don't really want to acknowledge to ourselves, let alone to other people, that are present. So by developing friendships and, and group friendships where there's that trust that I can, I can say what's coming up and I can see what's coming up and I'm not going to be... Um, judged or admonished or rejected for having these um, having these experiences uh, i think I think that's a very that's to me has been a very important part of the uh, spiritual friendship or kalyanamita um, group Let's see what else. So other qualities that then come from the trust is the honesty, you know, and a willingness to, to really honestly note, you know, to really honestly label, you know, what are you experiencing now? What is this? Really, without that, without that honesty, without that willingness to to really see what's present. The practice can only go so far. You know, you're just going to run up against, you know, anything that's that's that you've declared off limits um, is not going to go away just because you decided you're not going to look at it. So, having um, strong, supportive friendships can often help you 
look at those things that you've spent a good part of your life actively avoiding. In the particular case with this woman, as I started as I started to go to IMC and hear the talks, I would call her right at, every Monday night after the talk and 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 explain to her what I what I had heard and what happened. And over time, that really transformed the relationship. You know, it was like the projection and what I what I thought. the way I saw her and the way I saw myself transformed by really being honest about what were those desires and what were the um, the fears and the longings and the projections. And so we've now become very close friends um, through that honest, that willingness to be honest with each other. Another quality of the friendships um, that I've experienced has been one of um, well. So there's another. So so past the 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 honesty and the trust comes an ability to uh, to challenge each other. You know, to to really go, is that really what's going on right now? You know, that that sounds maybe a little too idealistic, or um, you know, I really think there's something else there. So that willingness to be able to challenge each other and question each other in a helpful way, in a supportive way, is um, something else. It's it's often hard. F- it's often hard for us to challenge ourselves. You know, once we think we understand what's, you know, once we think we understand what's going on with us, then it's like, okay, well, now I've got it. So having somebody that's willing to go, well, you know, yeah, but you say that, but yet you keep doing that. So um, what's that all about? So that willingness to challenge, I think that's that's a very important part of uh, spiritual friendships, and then also a willingness to, um, or a an ability to inspire each other. Uh, I'm in a group right now of uh, there's seven of us, and each person is in a very different place. So one person is um, sort of studying academics, you know, is like going to become a I suspect possibly a professor of, of Buddhism at some point. So doing a lot of sutta study and uh, learning Pali and um, really bringing forth a lot, of, a lot of what the Buddha taught that you won't necessarily hear in Dharma talks like this. Um, people that are learning to be chaplains, people going through... Um, uh, community Dharma leader training, um, people doing devotional practice. You know, what's that about? 
And each person in that group, I find very inspiring. You know, there's, there's times when I do find myself becoming sort of a dharmic couch potato. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, well, I've listened to a lot of dharma talks, I sit, yeah, you know, I think, I, I think I've got the hang of this. You know, I think I, you know, I, think I, I know what, what this practice is all about. And so then to hear people reporting on what they're experiencing on long retreats or in daily life inspires me to, to keep, you know, to keep putting more energy into the practice. You know, keep, keep looking, you know, not stop at like, okay, now I've seen it all. So I felt very fortunate uh, having those groups and, and being invited into those. And given that this is a somewhat smaller group than normally would appear if, if Gil were talking, I wanted to um, spend some time breaking up into smaller groups, maybe groups of uh, four people. And we'll spend a little bit of time talking to each other about what the what does spiritual pract- what does spiritual friendship mean to you, or how do you experience it? Do you have some longing for it? Do you have some aversion to it? Um, is there have you had an experience? What what do you get out of being in those kind of spiritual friendships? Um, what do you feel that you have to offer? So we'll break up into groups of four and each person, you'll, you'll time yourself. So we'll have 12 minutes. So each person has about three minutes to talk. And then at the end, we'll come back together and um, share what we've learned and if you don't like if you don't like talking to other people, if you don't want to be in a group, um, it's okay to just sit silently and reflect on this on your own. You don't you don't have to talk. I mean, this is not mandatory. Um, I think a lot of people find it very useful to actually start to do this kind of exploration. So let's see. It's uh, ten twenty five now. So we've got. Um, 20 more minutes, so if, if you um, can just turn to um, people next to you, particularly if it's somebody that you don't know, it would be helpful. And just, um, and just for the next 12 minutes, discuss with each other spiritual friendship. So, somebody like to share what what they found in in going through this process. Okay. Uh, my name's Rill. Um, I it was really curious um, after listening to everyone else. I kind of got a sense that for me, like just there was aversion to even putting those two words together, spiritual and friendship. Mm. Like in some place, they don't don't go together. And I'm just really grateful for opening up the inquiry and exploration for myself because I'll get something really rich. Mm. And 
I haven't been willing to look at it before. Mm. So thank you, Jim. Thank you. Yes. Well, the first thing I discovered is uh, how beautiful it is uh, to come together with people who have a spiritual practice or a desire for spirituality and how much commonality is already there to draw on and the um, one of the part of the commonality seemed to be a desire for more experience of spiritual friendship mm. although I didn't think of that term before but now that I can use that it seems like that's what everyone expressed in different ways some desire for and I can be corrected if, if I'm speaking out of turn okay great I um, hearing hearing your talk and hearing the process that you've gone through uh, from individual to more of a, a group I've got in touch with my deep yearning of um, community. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's kind of what it's like, oh, yes, yes, my heart yearns for that. Yes, to, to be part of groups and to have a greater sense of community. And so I felt inspired to uh, then come up with a, a spiritual group. And um, I'm sort of thinking of how I can go about it and... Um, and would people come and um, and so I um, it's kind of given me a little bit of the like extra momentum mm. to to really uh, yeah have a community group of, of uh, you know I, I love the mindful the mindfulness but also the meta practice so I thought about coming up with just a monthly group that meets uh, and practices meta and eats together. Mm. I love hearing that. We meditated together and then we ate together. And that sounded lovely. Good. Well, I wish you well on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arthur, over here. Um, so, um, just before I came here this morning, I was reading um, <clears throat> When Things Fall Apart by Emma Chodron. And... Um, <clears throat> I wasn't reading much of it, just a little bit. And um, it came, there was a paragraph, I hope I can paraphrase this well enough, that uh, to the extent that um, you're willing to accept the and see the places in yourself that you hide from and vice versa, um, the, the, the extent to which you're open to them in the world and... Um, and the reverse is true. The extent you're open to things in the world, the more you can open to what's inside of yourself. <clears throat> and so I've been thinking about that, and your, your talk brought up the idea that, um, for me, one of the beautiful things about spiritual friendships, useful things and beautiful things about spiritual friendships, is that we're not all alike. And um, um, there's great value for me 
in, um, because I always avoided this most of my life, of spending time with people who think differently than me, people I don't agree with, people who just are, see, see the world quite differently than I, um, but are sincere about what they see um, and see it deeply because uh, that opens a lot up in me rather than uh, spending time. And I enjoy spending time with people who see the world just as I do um, as well. Um, but there's value in both. Um, Great. Thank you. Yes. Get this side of the room. Um, I just, uh, <laughs> I raised my hand because I didn't want to. Um, <laughs> I, um, I've been coming here on and off for the last five months, and I have found it not that easy to sort of, like I said to the, our, my colleagues here, that I, to assimilate into this community. Um, you know, it's, for whatever reason, it's more, you know, I, I, and I, I make things up about that. So I'll say to myself, well, this is a contemplative, reflective environment. It's not really about talking. <laughs> um, even though people talk afterwards. Um, but it's interesting because I, so I said to myself this morning, I'm going to talk to three people I don't know. So I already got a lead on that. From <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, that's great. Yeah. And then I decided I'm going to go to the Dharma Friends meeting. and Because um, I know I love people, and I, sometimes it's like I, I hold myself back, and mm. it doesn't feel good, so I'm putting myself out there. Great. All right. Thank you. Okay, I think this will be the last um, comment we, we need okay, to... Okay, really quick. Um, my name is Lorna. This is my first time here. And I just um, wanted to express how grateful I am that you brought this up and that everyone has shared what they've said and um, that you feel exactly the way I do. I've been practicing meditation um, with IMC talks, both Audio Dharma and like Tara Brock talks for like maybe three years by myself, just with podcasts. And yesterday I went to the most joyful, loving, compassionate wedding and I felt tears of joy that I realized were not joy, they were longing to be part of something more connected. And so I looked up groups n nearby instead of a podcast and set my alarm and got my butt down here. And <laughs> I'm so grateful that this was the topic. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you. So uh, before we end, um, Inez has one announcement to make. <laughs> that, that one half speaks for itself. Uh, the other one's right here. <laughs> Um, so uh, we're getting chairs for the new retreat center, and at the same time as uh, some of you heard last week, uh, we're thinking of uh, replacing the ones here for little more cushiony chairs. So we would love to get people's feedback to come by, and I've got, I'm, I have a little checklist. You can put the one you prefer. And uh, these are not the colors, but if you have opinions on colors for here, uh, please check it up on the, on the little sheet. Just general color. So, um, and then the other announcement is we're very, very happy to say that even though the renovation isn't done yet, we're opening registration for first retreat next week. Hey. So, Great. <laughs> so I really, the flyers are out there.
So, great. Thank you all. Okay. Great. So thank you all for coming today and for um, your attention. And I encourage you to um, support your team. Thank <laughs> you.